just before we get into the message today, I just want to start with a little commercial. This Tuesday at APU, every year they do an event called the Malcolm Robertson Lectureship on Holy Living. And lectureships might not sound like a whole lot of fun to you. For me, I'm like, ooh, a lecture, that sounds awesome. And I go to them, and I love them, and they're all academic, and there's lots of fun. But Malcolm was a, a, a pastor. Malcolm was a, a member of APU, the APU community for years, and Malcolm attended this church for years and years and years, and they still hold this le- lectureship in his honor. It's this Tuesday. Um, I believe the first one's at 3, and then there's a dinner. I think the dinner might be like $20, and then there's a, uh evening session as well. So if any of you are interested in that, the, this year the topic is... Um, on the civil rights movement, because it has been a significant number of years. It's been 50 years since Martin Luther King um, has, uh, has been killed. And so this year, uh, it's on the civil rights movement. So it would be an excellent, excellent lecture. So just want to invite you to that. Let me know if you're interested in going. I could send out an email and let you know about that. Um, I intended to have posters, but I forgot to grab them. So there's that. Well, we are in week three of our series called Invitation to Intimacy. And this is a series through the book of Song of Songs. And if you've ever read the book of Song of Songs in the Bible, you know that this is just loaded with sexual imagery. (laughs) This Bible is just full of that sort of stuff. And as we get into it this morning, I just want to tell a brief story. When I was 19, I took my first trip to New York City. And um, uh, the, the leader of our team, we had a team from Cal Poly Pomona, and it was the National Model United Nations team. And the leader of our team said, here's the deal. There's a few things that we're going to do. They're group events. They're, they're team events. You have to attend them. Everything else, you're on your own. And one of those was to go see a New York City musical, which at age 19, I was not excited about at all, right? I'm like, I'm not going to go see a Broadway musical. That, does, that sounds dumb. I'm not going to do it. But it was a required. I know. I know. Don't, luckily, I have repented. <laughs> I now love them. But the musical, little to, that I know, we were going to see the original cast of Rent. And we saw the, we saw, I know, you, you guys all just fainted. We saw the, and it was my first time. I never, I'd heard of it before, but I'd never heard, I never knew anything about it. But I went to go see it, and at that moment, I fell in love with New York City musicals. It was amazing. I, I went there. I couldn't tell you what the storyline is still today. It was just the singing about everyday life. And it was just singing through all of life. And I was blown away that they were doing this. I was just utterly shocked on this. They played this song, which, which I keep, I, I've got a playlist going on my phone that songs like my kids should know when they're growing up. There's, you know, there's a lot of worship songs, but there's some other songs too. One of the songs I have on there is called Seasons of Love. Some of you guys know this song. Would you guys like to just sing it for us real quick? 525,600 minutes, right? You know, some of you know this song, 525,600 minutes, 525,000 moments so dear. And, and the idea is they go through, how do you measure love? And they keep going through this whole like year cycle of love. And I, I love that song because there's something that Scripture affirms about it, and that is there's different seasons in love. There are definitely different seasons, and, and the Song of Songs um, talks a little bit about that. In Ecclesiastes, it talks about there being a season for everything. It talks about um, there's a season to embrace, and there's a season to refrain from embracing. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that today. 
So if you've been following along with us on the Song of Songs, it's a little strange. It's not a linear timeline. In fact, we won't even get to the marriage element for another couple of weeks. Um, I'm getting some feedback up here, Sam. I don't, just want to let you know. Um, so we won't even get to that for another couple of weeks. Um, so on the Song of Songs, when we, we started out with like this really intimate scene, and then it sort of goes back and tells the story of the relationship a little bit. And so I'm just going to get right into it. We're in chapter 2, verses 8 through 13. And here's how it goes. It goes, listen, I'm sorry, if you, <laughs> please open your Bibles to Song of Songs, chapter 2. It'll be up on the screen, but it'll be good to have it in front of you as well. Listen, my beloved, look, here he comes, leaping across the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Look, there he stands behind our, well, our wall, gazing through the windows, peering through the lattice. My beloved spoke to me, arise, my darling, my beautiful one. Come with me. See, the winter is past. The rains are over and gone. Flowers appear on the earth. The season of singing has come. And the cooing of doves is heard in our land. The fig tree forms its early fruit. The blossoming vines spread their fragrance. Arise, my darling, my beautiful one. Come with me. So that is the woman speaking. We're going to pause right there this morning. I know when you read this, I, and, and when I study this, these texts, I've got to read it over and over and over again because I'm like, this language of poetry just isn't natural to me. It, it's, it's something that you have to read over and over and over again and say, what are they saying? And so um, first she says, my love is a gazelle bounding over the hills. And, and she compares him consistently with the gazelle. And the interesting thing is that in biblical literature, a lot of times men are compared with like lions or, or something else like that. They're, they're compared with different animals. But the gazelle is kind of like this weak creature. I mean, it's got all this energy and it's just sort of bounding over the hills. And, and the idea is just like it is light and it is fun. And that's what she's comparing her, her man to is this, just this fun guy who comes springing along um, into the relationship. But I want to point out something really quick here. And it just says this. It's a small line. It says, the winter is gone. The winter is gone. Now, there is a physical season change that they are referring to. But it's also poetry. So there's, there's something of metaphor happening here, too. The winter is gone. Winter is known as a dark, cold season. And, and if you've ever gone through winter in marriage, you know exactly what winter is. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Times where you're not talking as much. Times where you're angry at each other. Times where you snap easily. Times where there's no sexual intimacy. Every marriage goes through winter. And here she's saying, the winter's gone, spring is here. Every marriage goes through winter. But the spring comes, and you go back to a place that's light and fun and easy in your marriage. And this happens all the time. In fact, these metaphors uh, uh, of the seasons are sort of scattered through the Song of Songs. And and they're sort of uh, meant to teach us something a little bit bigger here. Something I want to get into. Here's the point I want to make, and then I'm going to take a few minutes to make the point. Married couples, winter is good for you. Winter is good for you. We all go through winter seasons. It's not fun, it's hard, it's depressing, but it is good for you. 
Let me tell you a quick story I heard um, this last year. I, there's a country singer named Raul Malo. I have no idea who this is. Does anybody know who that is? No one else? Okay, see, no one listens to country music. My thesis is totally, I'm joking. He's a country singer, and he plays guitar, and he was storing his instruments at the Nashville Soundcheck Warehouse, which was right next to this river um, called the Cumberland River. And in 2010, they had the great Nashville flood. This river overflowed its banks and flooded the Nashville warehouse. Naturally, I was jumping for joy, thinking, finally, country music is dead. But I know, I know. That was a low blow, right? I joke, I know. I joke like that with my wife because she loves country music. And I'm like, that is just the worst music ever. So, sorry. I know. Go ahead. Throw stuff at me. I don't care. I'm not changing my position. Pray for me. But this last year, he, they're, they're all these musicians' instruments, famous country stars, all their instruments were ruined. But people who are out, um, on, when they're back from the road, they store their instruments there. And if you've ever seen like a road crew, you know they just have tons and tons of equipment, tons of sets. I, a couple months back, my friend invited me to a John Mayer show, and he had a new, a different guitar for every single song. So they have lots of guitars. So, so uh, this guy named Raul Malo, uh, his, all of his instruments got totally flooded and ruined, and he thought they were forever gone. He just had to buy all new instruments, and he had to for to go play his shows. But his prized Gibson guitar, he was not willing to let go of that guitar. And so what he did is he sent it to restoration, and he got it back a few years later. It took a couple of years to restore this guitar, but when he got this guitar back, he said that the sound was richer and fuller and better than he could have ever imagined. And he said, had I known that my guitar could have sounded this good, I would have thrown it in the Cumberland River years ago. This was amazing. This is what winter does for your relationship. It's terrible to go through. It's like a flood comes in and it feels like everything is ruined, but spring is right behind it. And if you could manage to get through winter then it's very good for your relationship. In fact, if you think about this, in our relationship with God, it's the same way. Think about summer. Summer's just fun, right? Shorts and t-shirts and flip-flops and the beach. Summer's just awesome. There's, the summer's the best. And, and it's just light and it's just fun and there's no responsibility. And, and when you first start dating somebody, you're in summer, Right? You're just in euphoria land, and you can't make good rational decisions because you're in euphoria land, and, and, and you're in summer, and you think everything is amazing, and, and they could do no wrong, even though they do a lot of wrong, but they could do no wrong. That's what summer is. And then, and, and then summer goes into fall, and that cools off a little bit, and then it goes into winter, right? And then that's the make or break stage. A lot of relationships break in winter. And I'm telling you this, dating people, if you're dating right now, if you're single, don't get married until you've gone through winter. Don't get married until you've gone through winter. Don't get married in summer. I mean, summertime is a good time to get married. But in the euphoria stage, don't get married in summer. Get married after you've gone through winter. It's the same with our relationship with Christ. Think about this for a second. You first come to know the salvation of Jesus, the, the, the forgiveness, the, the redemption, the, the like, oh my Lord, look what he's done. He saved my soul. And, and I can live life with him. And 
Everybody needs to know this. And you go through summer in your relationship with Jesus, and this is awesome. Then you begin to cool off a little bit, and then you might go through winter. Some of you might call it the dark night of the soul. Times where you feel like you're praying and your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. You're looking at the word of God and you're like, I don't even know what this means. And times where you just have a hard time getting up in the morning. You go through winter in your relationship with God. But it's good for you because it weans you off the summer. Because the summer is light and fun and good and easy. But you need to wean off of that because it can't sustain you through your entire relationship with God. And it can't sustain you through your marriage. Summer's fun, but it's not reality, right? And then it takes you into spring, and this is what she's talking about. The song of spring is time to sing. In fact, in the book of Jeremiah, where it talks about the song of spring, it talks about the spring weddings that are about to take place. So she's anticipating her own wedding with with him in this place. So let's keep going. Verse 14 and 15, chapter 2. My dove is the cleft in the rock, in the hiding place of the mountainside. Show me your face. Let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. Catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyard, are vineyards that are in bloom. So here the woman is apparently acting inaccessible to her husband. Um, Because he is now talking. He's saying, show me your face. I want to see you. Why are you hiding behind it? Come, come see me. So she's acting inaccessible to her husband. And there's a bit of a cryptic thing that happens here. But then he talks about, get rid of these foxes that are chewing on the vine. In fact, commentators are, are real... They fight about this a lot. And the commentators don't really exactly know what to make of this. But there's a few people who have come together and said, we're going to solve this once and for all. And here's, here's what they say. The, and, and I think this is the right way to look at this passage. In the very beginning of, of the text of Song of Songs, the woman talks about how uh, her brothers abused her. And how they made her look after their vineyards. And yet, she never took care of her own vineyard. And then, all of a sudden, now that they're coming to be married, they have their own vineyard together. Now, vineyard, it means two things. One, a vineyard where grapes grow. And two, vineyard means like your body or your sexual intimacy. And that's what they're talking about in the Song of Songs. It has this dual layer of meaning. And, and the man says to her, get the foxes out. And what that means in a very literal sense is that you would have to protect. So that woman, when she was taking care of the vineyard for her brother, one of the things that she would have had to do, her job, was to set fox traps and to try and get the foxes out of the vineyard because foxes can come in and spoil the actual vineyard. They could come in and eat the fruit. They can come in and chew on the vines. They can come in and make a huge mess of the vineyard. And so here's what the man is saying to her. You're letting these foxes in that are big distractions to us and our intimacy. Quit letting that come in. Get the foxes out. And here's what he's saying to her. Quit bringing your cell phone to bed. No? Anybody? Okay. Um, <laughs> quit, quit coming to bed late. What, she's saying, what he's saying to her is, is stop bringing your work home with you. Get rid of all these other distractions that are harming the intimacy of our marriage that you're allowing in. 
How many times in, in our own marriages have we allowed just other distractions in? Maybe it's you're thinking through things at work, or, or maybe you're having a difficult relationship with another family member, or, or there's just different things, difficult things coming in, and you just sort of let the little things spoil your intimacy with your spouse. This is what he's saying. Those little foxes that run around and do a bunch of damage, work to get those out of your life and bring them and, and come back to me. He's saying, don't ruin it. These little foxes can ruin everything. And then here's what he says next. Now, she doesn't want um, to let the foxes ruin things. So here's what she says. My beloved is mine, and I am his. He browses among the lilies until the day breaks, and the shadows flee. Turn, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or like a young stag on the rugged hills. So, so here's what's happening. In, in the very beginning, they're talking about the season change. It's going from winter to spring. Things are getting good again. And then he says to her, but, but you're still hiding from me. You're still inaccessible. And then she says back to him this very intricately, um, I'm just going to say erotic language, but I'm going to allow you and your sanctified minds to figure out what they're saying here, okay? Because um, I just, I, I'm still a little bit, um, even though the Bible is not prudish, I am. And it's hard for me to say some words up in front. Um, my wife told me, we were listening to this series in bed because she doesn't get to listen. She's with children's ministry. And my wife tells me, she's listening. She goes, oh my gosh, I, I can't be in church with you on Sundays. I just can't do it. I can't do it. <laughs> so what she's saying is a very sexual, ver- very sexual stuff. She's describing his own, her own body and saying, it's available to you, my husband, is what she's saying. And, and like I said, we, we might be prudish, but this song is not. The Bible is not. In fact, in the Bible, the Bible is fully aware of sexual desire. It's fully aware of sexual sin. It's fully aware of seduction. It's fully aware of rape, polygamy, homosexuality, adultery, sex after the age 90. And that's just the book of Genesis. I mean, the Bible is fully aware of this stuff. So I recognize I'm up here getting all bashful, but the Bible is not bashful, Okay. It talks about this stuff because it's important. The reason why it's important is we wrap our identity up in it rather than wrapping our identity up in Jesus Christ. When you wrap your identity up in sex, you will always feel like you're wanting or lacking. When you wrap your identity up in who Jesus is, you will not. So they're definitely referencing sexual intimacy together. And there's going to be a point in a chapter, a couple chapters, and I'll warn you beforehand, but it's just totally unavoidable. I'm going to have to say some stuff. So <laughs> that's in the next couple weeks. Um, it's not my fault. I didn't write the book. It's in there. Just want to put that out there. But I want to get to a couple practical points in a quick way this morning. Trust God's timing within marriage. Because that's what's happening in this, in this song here is that their timing is off, right? It's that that the winter's gone and the spring is coming, but she's still inaccessible and he's trying to still woo her over, saying, move move the distractions. Then she finally says, okay, I'm accessible to you. So in many ways, this poem reflects Ecclesiastes 3. For everything, there's a season. For every time and every matter under heaven, there's a time to gather stones, a time to cast stones away, there's a time to embrace and a time to refrain. So in many ways... This, um, this song captures Ecclesiastes 3. So married people, there's a time for embrace 
And there's a, a time to not embrace. But there, so in 1 Corinthians um, 7, 3 through 5, here's one of the things that, that the Apostle Paul says about this. It says, The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, yet yields it, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other except by perhaps a time to mutual consent for a time, so that you might devote yourselves to prayer. Then come again together so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Isn't that nice that he says to the uh, first Corinthian, to the Corinthian church, he's like, listen, you, you have no self-control. So married people, it's fine. Do not deprive each other. And that's what he tells them. The Apostle Paul, I love what he says about husbands and wives. He uses the word yield. He says, when you get married, what you're doing is you're yielding to one another. The problems that I have when people come to me with marriage issues is that they have not yielded each other to each other. They've not given themselves over to their spouse. In fact, their selfishness doesn't allow them to do that. One person might yield and the other person might say, nope, not changing, not doing anything. Or, or, or maybe they both don't do that. And there's just this selfishness that ensues that creates a, a, a vast problem in the marriage. And this can only be fixed by this idea of yielding to one another, giving yourself over to one another. And so the Apostle Paul tells husbands and wives, listen, married people, have sex. It's fine. It's great. In fact, God designed it for you as the bonding agent for a happy and strong marriage. Do that. There's this one Facebook video. In fact, the, there's two reasons why I did this series. One, the, the whole issue with the sexual assault stuff that's been happening. And I just wanted the church to have a great view of sex and biblical view of sex. But two, this Facebook video that I saw. And I'm not going to play it because it's actually inappropriate for church. Um, but you may have seen it. I could describe it, but I'm not going to play it, <laughs> right? So there's this woman and this man, and it's the, Bible, the, the video is just called, like, Married Sex. And you just see the guy's hand on her shoulder, and she goes, are, are you kidding me? I've had two kids, you know, right? No, not tonight. And he keeps, you know, the next, and then it says Tuesday night, and it's, are you kidding me? I'm so bloated right now. And then he, you know, hand on her shoulder, it's Wednesday night. He's like, are you, are you serious right now? Are you for real? I haven't showered. I smell like a homeless man. Like, she just keeps going on and on and on and on. And I'm just like, no, that is not what marriage is supposed to be. God paints this picture in the book of Song of Songs of married couples enjoying each other. And there are times where winter comes, and, and that's perfectly fine. The Apostle Paul affirms it. Maybe it's a time of sickness. Maybe it's a time of you're hurt. Maybe it's a time where you just need to pray. Like he says, time to devote yourselves to prayer. And there's times for that. But married people, your strongest bond is you two. And that's important to come together. And I mean, when he says come together, he means sex. I'm just throwing it out there. All right. Song, I don't think you need me to say it. I'm going to throw it out there, though. Two. Trust God's timing for intimacy before marriage. Last week we hit on this, but I want to hit on it a little bit stronger this week and more intentional this week. Song of Songs 2-7. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and the doves of the field. Do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. The woman here is speaking to one of the audiences of the Song of Song, to the, to the young ladies, the single women of Jerusalem. And she's saying, do not arouse or awaken love before the right time, before it so desires, before marriage. 
Now, I'm gonna, what I'm going to do is very dangerous because it's going to sound sexist and it's going to sound like a gross generalization, mainly because it is a gross generalization. But when I, here's what I want to say. Primarily, men want sex and women want intimacy. Primarily. I, again, gross generalization. Primarily, that's the deal. Guys want the physical. Women want the emotional. It's just how we're wired. And I, I used to teach this in youth ministry all the time. Here's what happens in relationships. Guys are typically the ones pushing, not always, but typically the ones pushing for sex. And they, the women buy into this lie that, well, if I just have sex, then our intimacy will increase. When in reality, intimacy stops right there. And the relationship becomes all about the physical. Does that make sense? Okay, good. I'm glad you're with me on that. The great lie is that if you have sex real soon, you're going to grow in intimacy. But the reality is you stop intimacy altogether and you almost will never get to it. This is one of the reasons why the divorce rate for people who have sex before marriage is actually a lot higher. A lot of people think the divorce rate is straight 50%. That is not true. That's an average of all the different subsects and people groups. For people who attend church on a regular basis who've committed themselves to Christ, the divorce rate is like 20%. Okay? It's not, it's not 50%. Like you all think, oh man, I'm going to get married and I have a 50% chance of getting divorced. If you're committed to Christ, the divorce rate is so much smaller. It's just not reflected in national statistics. You have to look other places to find them. And the divorce rate for people who have sex before marriage is so much higher than 50%. It's like 70%. Why? Because intimacy stops there. And you don't build it because the relationship goes from emotional to straight physical. And then at the, the time where you're going through winter, all you have left is physical. And you don't have any of that emotional stuff to draw on. Does that make sense? Apparently not. Let me say that all over again. I'm joking. <laughs> <sighs> So when I say um, trust God's timing for sex before marriage, what I'm trying to say is the reason why the Bible warns of sex before marriage is because it's so powerful. The reason why these women uh, are, are warning the other women about it is because it can actually harm your marriage later on if you have sex too soon. And they're concerned about that. She knows the power of that. She knows the power. And so she calls them to abstinence, to wait. In our society, which is what's interesting, what I, what I said is really intolerant. And I, I'm sorry. But in our society, um, sexual sin is tolerable now. I mean, it's just straight up tolerable. There's no, there's no it's just what people want to do and it's okay. And in fact, the only sin that's intolerable is intolerance. Have you ever noticed that? Yeah, that's like the only sin that's intolerable to our world is if you're intolerant. But here's my point. My, my point is, in the church and in your parents, specifically parents, I want to tell you this. Make sexual sin intolerable in your family. Make it intolerable. Yes, you'll still love your child. Yes, if they screw up, you'll, you're still going to love them. You're still going to wrap your arms around them. But make it something that's just not tolerable. I remember a conversation my mom had with me. Um, we were in the office at, at my parents' house, and uh, this was just yesterday. No, I'm joking. This was when I was a teenager. Um, 
this is when I was a teenager. She said, Dave, when do you think, and I wasn't a Christian. I, I was not a Christian yet. I wasn't even thinking that through. She, she said, when do you think you'll have sex? And I said, I guess in college, right? That's when everybody's supposed to have sex. <laughs> I mean, that's just what I thought. And, 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 you know, they talked to us a lot about that and about waiting for marriage. But I was trying to be honest with my mom. And she goes, nope, you are waiting till you're married. And I was like, okay, mom. You know, <laughs> parents, if this might be an uncomfortable conversation. But if you're not having it, they're having it at their school every day. You need to have this conversation with your kids all the time. It's for their own safety. I can't tell you how many kids now are getting STDs because they don't understand. They just don't get it. They just think it's fun. They don't understand the power of it. Also, it reveals what you do with your body reveals who you worship. Romans 12, one through, just verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. It, single people, when you do this, when you refrain from sex before marriage, what you're doing is you're saying, Lord, I offer you my body. I'm offering you me as my holy act of worship. And then when you get married, God says, go for it. Have fun. So when you wait on God's timing for sex, it's actually an act of worship. I want to get to this last point. Trust God's forgiveness through Jesus. Trust God's forgiveness through Jesus. Some of you are here today and you're like, holy cow, that whole last section that Pastor Dave just talked about, that's me. That's me. I, 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 maybe it's pornography, maybe it's sexual sin, maybe it's sex before marriage, maybe you live together, all that stuff. Oh, listen, I am, I'm not trying to sit here and judge you, but I do want to tell you this. If that is you, then, then I want to just encourage you to, to look to Jesus. Jesus can forgive you. Jesus can restore you. Many people experience sexual sin. In fact, our culture is pushing and pushing and pushing people into that mold. Saying, this is just what you do. This is just what life is. It, it, it's just transactional. This is just what you do. This is just what you do in a, in a, in a dating relationship. This is just what you do um, after you have dinner with somebody. This is just what you do when you meet a random person. You just hook up and no big deal. It's just what you do. But I'm going to tell you, that will leave you feeling more and more empty all the time. So if that's you, I, I simply want to say, don't buy into the lie. Don't buy into the lie that you're damaged goods. Don't buy into the lie that you're a complete screw-up. Yeah, you may have done that, but let's move forward. Let's move forward because Jesus loves you. And the reason why he died on the cross was to forgive you from pornography, was to forgive you for sexual sin, was to forgive you for not honoring the seasons that God has laid out, was to forgive you from all of this stuff. There's this verse that I sort of keep in the back of my mind. It's from when we did the, the John series. And um, from John chapter 13, Jesus is washing the feet of his disciples. And Peter's like, no, Lord, you should never wash my feet. You're, that's so beneath you. And Jesus simply replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Jesus' greatest desire is to wash you clean from that sexual sin and to give you a brand new chance. So maybe you're here today and, and you just need to be washed clean, whatever that looks like. 
Maybe you just need to offer a moment of repentance. Right now, we're going to take communion as a church. And, and I just want to encourage you that as we take the elements, as you, as you take the bread and as you take the cup, that you remember that this is God's body that he offered for you and for me that was nailed to the cross, and the cup represents the blood that was spilled, the new covenant of his blood to to start a brand new relationship with him and with you. So maybe you're here today and you simply need to say, Jesus, I need you to wash me. This is what symbolically is represented through taking of communion. I need to be forgiven. I need to be washed white as snow. That's this next that's what we're doing next. That is communion. So I want to invite the ushers to come forward, and I want to pray as they do come forward. We're going to sing this uh, a next song called Chainbreaker, actually. And, and this song, what it's about is exactly what I'm preaching about. It's exactly what communion is about. It's about breaking the bondage of sin, and in this case, is sexual sin. So let's pray as the ushers come forward. Lord God, there are many folks here today who simply need to place their lives in your hands, who simply need to say, Lord Jesus, I need you to wash me. I need you to cleanse me with your blood. Lord, as we take this communion today, would we examine our own hearts? Would we examine our own lives? Would we examine ourselves? Lord, would you bring to the surface anything that's dishonoring or displeasing to you so that we might live holy and acceptable lives pleasing to you? Lord, renew to us the joy of your salvation. Lord, we thank you. In your name we pray.